Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, it is Buffett Palooza out in Omaha, Nebraska, and we are going to break down all the Buffett insanity. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Welcome to the Food Fight. Welcome to Friday. Welcome to the studio, folks. Paul Vigna, Stephen Grosser here. Barron's Jack Otter, Market Watches, Chuck Jaffe. We're here ready to ready to sling the hash. Gentlemen, how are we all? Good. 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 Uh, Jack, I'm a little a little perturbed with you. Oh yeah. You promised me Justin Tuck. Uh, then he found out I was a Jets fan and that was Yeah, that. you had to go and say that, didn't you? Yeah, sorry. So so that. Jack does does Fox Business on Friday mornings and they had Justin Tuck, two time Super Bowl champion in the New York football giants on. Uh, I don't I, know who you're talking about. Yeah, you know, you know, he sacked Tom Brady in that Super Bowl grocer. <laughs> uh, so you were you were sitting right next to Justin Tuck. Yes, yeah, and cool. you have to go and tell him you're a Jets fan. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I had to make a point, which I think is interesting. In fact, the Wall Street Journal had a great story about this. The schemes in college football now are all hurry up, and so the college quarterback and the, and the defenses and the offenses are just, you know, boom, boom, one-step throw. And so these guys come into the NFL, and they're not prepared for it. And, of course, Justin Tuck, you know, was great at, at slamming Tom Brady and others to the ground. He certainly uh, was. So yes, I yes. said, how are we going to get these college guys just around, you know, number one and two last night were college yeah. quarterbacks. But guess what? Their coaches really don't want to put them in the game because they're not going to be able to figure yeah. out the defensive schemes. Well, it's not just it's not just quarterbacks. I mean, it was, I mean, not to take this off on football, but Sports Illustrated also had a wonderful article like going through how this is affecting all positions, like tackles this. You're not learning the fundamentals and the whole Bill Walsh. This, this you, you're not you're you're not you have three years to prove you belong in the league is no longer the case. Th- th- this would have been great if Jack had gotten Justin Tuck to come in here for the <laughs> podcast, uh, but he yeah, did not. Sorry. So let's talk about something we know hopefully a little bit more. I'm about. not sure that's the case actually. And I would yeah, actually well, rather be none on of a us podcast are. than television with Justin Tuck because sitting next to the man is a little bit humiliating. My brother <laughs> right, said he could right. see me trying to pull my shoulders back as if, you know, I right. just wouldn't look tiny yeah. next to the guy. Yeah, you did. Yeah. We all yeah. would. We all yeah. would. Uh, let's talk about something we, know, <laughs> we hopefully know a little bit more about. Warren Buffett. Berkshire Hathaway reports earnings. This weekend is the uh, Warren Palooza Fest out in Omaha. The Woodstock of capitalism. The Woodstock of capitalism. This big, you know, much ballyhooed. We'll be live blogging it and all kinds of craziness. Wait, wait, wait. We? Will yeah, we? well, no, not me. <laughs> that's, that's the editorial we. Not me. All I go, no, I don't get within 100 feet of this craziness. Uh, you but have you to actually guys pay do. extra to get within 100 feet of this craziness. Right, right, yeah. right. And uh, the reason we want to get on this especially is because, Chuck, you were writing about Warren – and what's what's your problem with Warren Buffett, man? Well, Warren no, Buffett, I, come on. The problem is not with Warren Buffett. The the Love Fest, the great part of the Love Fest that occurs every year for Warren Buffett is that it winds up making people sort of twist his words. I mean, you wind up in a situation where you got CNBC to name one, but there are plenty of others. When they start to do this coverage, they go, well, is this a good time to invest like Warren Buffett? And then they go off on these discussions of consumer staple stocks and things along those lines. And the answer is Warren Buffett is a value investor who says his favorite holding period is forever. And if you have a timeless strategy 
to argue or have a discussion about whether or not it's timely right now, that's insane. Right. Right, because so, the whole point is to not be timely. Yeah, well, no, the whole point of Warren Buffett is, I mean, for starters, Warren Buffett, for all the people who say, I want to invest the Warren Buffett way, mm-hmm. okay, well, Warren, you can't invest the Warren Buffett way. You don't have gazillions of dollars. You don't have his negotiating power. You don't necessarily have the need to stick with the large caps the way he does, but don't assume that because, well, this is what he buys with big companies that, you know, oh, let's make up what he would buy if he were suddenly buying microcaps. That's yeah, yeah. Know, that's that but I mean, is poppycock. And Warren Buffett, <laughs> he doesn't want you to own Berkshire Hathaway B. He only started the B shares because somebody was going to unit invest and trust him, and he felt it was wrong that they could make money off of his stock. He he suggests you own an index fund, and the lessons of Warren Buffett are like be frugal, you know, live below your means, and those sorts of things. Yeah. A huge believer in the power of compounding, and that all gets lost because all everybody wants to figure out is like, what is Warren Buffett buying? Can I go get that stock? Yeah. Well, what if you did invest like Warren Buffett? What if you held bought companies that were stable, paid a dividend, blah blah blah? Well, most people don't have an insurance. Held them uh, forever. That they have to. Well, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just if you just invested the way he does. That well, strategy, I would think. Like I would think, Chuck, you would be a big, uh, uh, not only, big not backer only of that I, kind of strategy. Not only would I be, but as I disclosed in my column, I bought Coca Cola mm-hmm. around the same time Warren Buffett was buying Coca Cola, and yeah, I, his involvement certainly was a nice signal. And I've held it for about thirty years now. Mm-hmm. And you, <laughs> excuse me, you can find plenty of days, weeks quarters where I could look at what's happening with Coca-Cola and go, man, I kind of wish I didn't own that stock. But you can't find any years in which I go, wow, my portfolio would be a lot better off if I weren't there. But did you reinvest the dividends? Well, I've, I've collected the dividend and the stock splits and everything else, and I've understood that you know, it's going to ride the market. So in 2008, it was down, but it was only down 25% when the market was down 37%. And ultimately, I've made it as easy as possible. The, the problem that I have is that unlike Warren Buffett, I can't sort of sit here and go, wow, I'll diver- get diversified that way. It's tough to build that portfolio yourself and do it in a diversified fashion, which is why he says, buy the index fund. That's what he's doing with his, his wife, right? That's in his will, I think. Ninety yeah, percent goes in the S and P five. I still wonder why it's not the total market index, but okay, you know. Yeah, so and you could make the case that it should be the total market index, but I think his point has been that he buys mostly domestic multinational giants, yeah. so it's a little more in keeping with what he does. And it's not just that he's put his wife into it. He has this bet of a million dollars, <laughs> where it's measuring the index fund against a fund of hedge funds over. A ten-year period, or what have you? And the last time, I think he it's five. On the bet, a fi- it's a five-year period. Yeah. So, he, and he actually, the the hedge funds won in 2015, but they won by a little bit, and to this point, the index fund has been killing it. Wow! And Over the period of the bet, going into yeah. yeah, 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 he's crushing it. Yeah, I'm. Part, I agree with what I agree with what you're saying, Chuck. In as much as I think 
Wall Street and you know the media to an extent is is guilty of this w- turns investing into really a cult of personality and you get these guys like well, Warren Buffett isn't a big you know well you know you want whatever but but I'm just saying it's not about the guys themselves really but Warren Buffett Carl Icahn the Ackmans of the world everybody falls all over everything these guys say without realizing that their means are very different from yours and their goals are very different from yours. And what they can expect is very different from what you can expect in investing. And I think a lot of people are just led astray because of that. And it's the classic behavioral mistake, which is to think that, uh, you know, if you work hard enough and you think smart enough, you can outsmart everybody else and be a winner. Like maybe you can in football if your genes are well, just in touch, right. but not necessarily in investing. I think it's even beyond that. It's really take the shortcut of just doing what these guys are doing. Well, but here's the thing. You that think you can. Right. Yeah. I talk to fund managers pretty much every day. I talk to money managers every single day. And the number of times where they'll say, hey, this is a great company, but right now it's a bad stock, so I'm selling it. Right? <laughs> they'll have that argument. And I talked to a money manager on my show this week, and he had a stock that he had previously been on the show and liked, and now he's on the show, and he's talking about it six months later or whatever, and he's talking about how he's selling it. And I asked the question. I said, if this was your personal portfolio, where you didn't have a mandate to be in X number of stocks and be fully invested and try to squeeze out a little bit more, would you ride out the bumps with this? And his response was, absolutely. In my personal portfolio, I wouldn't invest the way I'm running the fund. And that's because, as a fund manager, he's got a mandate. And that mandate is be fully invested, do all these other sorts of things. And we like to think, like, hey, it is great when your manager has skin in the game. When your manager invests in the mutual fund, your fund's going to do better. That's good for you. But your manager, and when he's running the fund, is not running the fund the way you would run your portfolio because you aren't there going, okay, wait, I could squeeze out this. I mean, people want to invest like the Yale Endowment. Right. Seriously, the Yale Endowment has a mission that is totally different from yours. Exactly. You know, right. when you're saying, I want to pay for college, their definition of paying for college is a lot different than yours, yeah. and their time frame is a lot different. Right. So they manage money differently. Let's also get into word here, and then we'll take a break. One of the other things that's not talked about is the use of leverage by you know Warren Buffett. Oh yeah. And and there was a recent study out by AQR Capital Management that sort of showed that essentially his strategy over the last several, you know, couple of decades has actually been much more of a you know, invest in you know low beta stocks and use leverage to get you know mm-hmm. very good returns. And they're not saying that as a criticism of him. Right. He was one of the first people to sort of employ that strategy, well, but it's not a strategy that like a lot of retail investors exactly, can right. necessarily He can follow. do that. You can't, yeah. or you can't. You can, but at much, much higher risk than yeah. at the risk he's and taking. He's, I mean, he does right. actually take risk. It's not this, right. like he's just right. a value guy. It's much more. He's a much more complex right. investor than that. All right, let's take a break, and we'll come back. Jack Otter, he has his. I can see it. You want to? Say, we'll let you get in one more comment, and then we'll we'll talk about the market. So we'll be back after this. Hi, this is Jason Gay, sports writer at the Wall Street Journal, and I have a podcast called Free For All. And guess what? It's not just sports. We'll also talk about some real estate, some music, some culture, some fashion. I could talk about fashion. It's the Free For All. Become a subscriber on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. And check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to the Financial Food Fight. Hey, folks, for more podcasts, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on Google Play Music app, the Google Play Music app on Android devices. Follow us on Twitter. We're good folks over there at WSJ Podcasts. Jack Otter, you were so ready to say something when I made us take that break. I just wanted to Jump do in. one follow-up to Chuck's point about the fund manager saying he's now selling, uh, and but he, he wouldn't in his own personal right, account. Right. And one of the, the factors going on here is what Jeremy Grantham calls career risk. And these guys are scared to hang on to losers. They're scared to divert too much from the index right. because if you do what everyone else is doing and you own tech stocks when they're overpriced and you crash with everyone else, then everybody says, well, you know, Paul was just like the other right. guys. Yeah. And, um, you know, but if Paul says, you know what, I'm not going to own these these awful tech stocks. And in 99, you lag the market in the first three months of 2000, then everybody's going to dump your fund and you're going to get fired from your job. And then, you know, your obituary will be he was a genius. It's too bad that they fired him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, talking about that kind of thing, look at and I think this will be a decent segue into what we're talking about. Look at the markets this week. You know, you went into it. Everybody was expecting the Bank of Japan to do something. Everyone was expecting the Fed to do nothing. Everyone <laughs> thought GDP was going to be eh. And, you know, the, the Dow, this is Friday afternoon, folks, that were taping this. The Dow is down more than 300 points from where it was, I believe, at Wednesday's close because things started to surprise the market. I think maybe well, it was uh, – It was really, I mean, Apple – Carl Icahn. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, I mean that like the market was kind of meh on, up yeah. until that point. And then, it, you know, yesterday, I mean, it was down, but it wasn't down. It was down. Mean, there was pro- I mean, the Bank of Japan thing was a surprise right, to the market. It was, it was. I mean, yes, it was. And that was overnight a big surprise. Yeah. But by the time the U.S. The U.S. isn't going to be isn't too worried about, you know, the Bank of Japan. Well, you're right. But they are worried about what the yen is doing. And the yen moves, you know, the Forex moves stocks. I mean, it just it just does. A weakening, a weakening dollar is not a bad thing for the U.S. Right, but when you're talking about, I mean, the, the I mean, you're talking about corporate earnings and people selling risk and buying safety that affects stocks. It just does. But it didn't have an effect, really. I mean, you know, are you really going to sit there and say down being down Look, point the, two the, the, okay. is a big move I, I, on not, like the I'm not, bank I'm of not, Japan doing not, nothing? It's not. I'm not discounting what Carl Icahn said and didn't how that affected the market. But it's not like the Dow was roaring when Carl Icahn no, made that it wasn't. statement. The markets were pretty weak all day. They were right. not in a risk-on mode. Well, no, right. And then Icon comes on CNBC and says he's. But there's a big Apple. difference between being down like you know sixty points and you know two hundred. Not a big difference, but there's a difference yeah. between sixty and two hundred, and especially in the like essentially the final hour and a half or hour. And I he, yeah. he said more than than he was no, dumping yeah. Apple. I mean, yeah, he was negative was on that, the entire market. Right. That yeah. was that was the real key too. Yeah. I also think there was the China. His concern yeah. about China right. and Apple played a big role because you know. China's a huge market for Apple. I mean, and, yeah. and and there are problems there. And he was saying there, you know, Tim Cook had the day before sort of suggested that these were one-off events related to Hong Kong and all that. And he was saying that, no, these are much more, uh, much deeper problems with Apple and China. Yeah. And look, what you have, again, is a situation where I don't think a lot has really changed this year fundamentally at all. I think economic growth is very weak. Corporate profits stink. I don't think any of these big things have changed. Yes, labor market, the jobs numbers every month have been decent, pretty good. But I don't think the picture is very strong at all. But, you know, you talk about people just kind of following what everybody else is doing. 
they were selling, then they were buying, then they were hoping that things aren't going to change. And, and this week, I think you saw things change just a little bit that didn't happen at the exact time in the exact way that they wanted, and then everyone gets caught out of position, and you end up where we are. To which we have to, of course, go back to Buffett, because he would just be laughing right. and saying yeah. that it's just nonsensical to make moves, unless you're, you know, it's what you do is trade. But if you're just a person who wants to invest in the market, you should ignore all of that noise. Right. Well, I yeah. Mean, no, I mean, this week, I mean, you saw over the last two weeks, tech earnings came out. It took the steam out of this very sort of, I think, a, a rally that everyone's just sort of skeptical about. And, and we're, we're flat for the month, essentially, right. now. Right. Skeptical. What, but- it, what that means long term is, no. Yeah. And, you know, that raises a question, too. You know, who is buying the stock market right now? Who is selling the stock market? You look at the volume. The volumes people. are not huge. Right. The volumes are not. So who, is it just day traders? And if it is, do we care? <laughs> well, you know, mutual Whether they're fund, up or down for a week? Mutual no. fund flows have been going down, 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 down. Now that's being replaced by ETFs. Yeah. Uh, but that suggests that it's more indexing. Right. And, Chuck, you said no? No, we shouldn't care what right. the market's doing. In any Again, it's the whole idea – it, the question is, whose game are you going to play? You are not well-suited to play the game against the Flash Boys, against the guys who want to trade ETFs on a granular basis. You know, yeah. it, it is very unfair these days when they look at trading statistics and how long people are holding indexes, and you get you know people like us who might hold a, uh, an index fund in a 401k plan, and we have these long time periods, but because there's some stock jockey who is trading the spider or the cues every couple of seconds, you wind up with turnover that goes, oh, well, you know, they turn that over once every X number of hours. You're playing into their game the more you look at that stuff. And it is very hard. I think if you ask most people and you said, look, you need to make a prediction on the market, which one do you think is going to be most accurate? Is it going to be what the market's going to do in a day, a week, a month, a year, or a decade? And now pick a direction, up or down. Mm-hmm. Your greatest odds of success would be to say, I'm going to pick the decade and the market will be up 10 years from now. In fact, now, I think you have a 99% up? chance of yeah. being right. Will it <laughs> Do you? Be is it that high? I think it is, yeah. 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 Will it be up enough? Oh, if you take a look, it's virtually, yeah, it, it, is, it is a 99 plus percent chance. Yeah. Because if you're looking at rolling 10-year periods, oh, we started today, oh, no, we started tomorrow, whatever it is, right. that's the, the direction it goes. So. I can't. That's the reason why I long ago stopped making market predictions. I don't need to go out of my way to make an idiot of myself, and it's easy to be wrong and and to sort of look stupid. The good news for anybody who doesn't want to look stupid is that the market tends to forget those forecasts unless you do something way outrageous like Dow thirty six thousand or something at a point when the market's frothy. Well, but Chuck, I'd say my recommendation as your publicist is to actually make a crazy recommendation, and odds are people actually will forget it. But if well, you get it right, then you look like a genius. Well, the or you're the other way, too, if it's, you're bearish. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. The, you must be best, smart. Yeah. The best market call I have ever heard, in my opinion, came from a guy named Bill Berger. He has now been dead for quite some time, but he was the founder of the Berger Funds, and... He came to a Society of American Business Editors and Writers conference that I organized in 1995, and he said, and at the time, the Dow was nothing, and he basically said the Dow's going to reach 116,200 come 2035. And that was basically, hey, here's what I've seen in my 40 years in the business. Here's what I'm going to wind up seeing now. And the truth is, 
every time we put that number in, and I've written about it and updated, et cetera, you put Dow 116200. <laughs> and you can't even imagine how much I get blasted on Twitter and, you know, all those well, other yeah, things. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, how is but, that a great call? But the Dow was, well, here's, here's why. Yeah. Because when he started in his business, the Dow was in the hundreds, and it got to 4,500. 4,500 to 116,000 would be the next 40 years, basically repeating the first 40 years. Hmm. And by the way, we're on pace. We're, we're dead on. So uh, the last time I checked, we had gone from a period where after 2008 we were behind pace to where we're now slightly ahead of schedule. How do you feel like about that, Papa Bear? Uh, I feel like there is a McKinsey report on my desktop downstairs that I don't have in front of me talking about how the next 30 years actually are not going to be anything like the last 30 no, it's years. It's actually 20. And, oh, and you saw the report? It, we wrote it. We wrote it already? Yeah. Who wrote it? Ben. Ben wrote it? Yeah. See the competition I have right behind my back? I didn't even know. But anyhow, the point is that the markets are not going to repeat what they just did. The annual returns on the market are going to be less than the, what they have been historically over the, yes. over the last right. 20 years, over the next 20 years. Right. That's correct. But if you were to go from 4,500 to 110,000 or 100, I mean, remember, when you talk about it, the reason that we all believe that the market makes 10% a year, that's the Ibbotson Sinkfeld study. And Roger Ibbotson has been saying now for 10 years that the next 25 years would return less than 10%. And, by the way, the 10% return is a market without transaction costs, and, and those of us who are real people can't get or that either. And, 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 I don't, I don't, and, I'm, and I'm not sure necessarily they're just talking about purely stocks when they're talking about those returns. They're talking about this as a retirement fund. Yeah, the, a, yes. a mixed yeah, portfolio. They're talking about the entire you know, right. landscape. But, but no matter what, you're still better off going, wait, let me invest and make that my more likely target because – on a day-to-day basis, that target seems ridiculous. It does. Yeah. But the truth is, historically and, like I said, it seemed outrageous when he said it. Mind you, Bill Berger did this at the same time he was doing it. He showed us, this was in the days before everybody had the Internet. Bill Berger had a guy, had a reader, who went out and found stuff and then presented it to him so that he wasn't wasting his time. And he used to read the Weekly World News, which is what got me into the <laughs> Weekly World News, truthfully, was some of the stuff that, that he talked about because I knew Bill quite well, and he was showing a, an article from the Weekly World News that said, said, determine your future from reading your next pizza, <laughs> right? Um, and it was, hey, for finances, look at how the cheese is allayed, and if it's congregated towards the center, that means good financial things are going to happen. And he said, look, I'm going to make it a, a forecast that's about as outrageous as you thinking you can do something based on what your pizza tells you you should do. All right. And 116200 right. And here we are 20 years later, and he's right. It's, it's, even though it doesn't feel it, even though people look at that number, it's so far away, and yeah, still though not... it can't happen, it's right. All right. Well, well, we got some time to figure Elvis that one out. Elvis had some thoughts. Before we before we let you too, go, I just want to before we let you go, folks. I just want to make one point to Stephen Grosser, who almost regularly makes fun of my flip phone. What was at the top of the Wall Street Journal yesterday in the skybox? Uh, flip phones. Flip phones are coming back. I'd like to point out what is the average age of the Wall Street Journal readership. <laughs> It's probably 47, which is what I am. So, you know, 
Who cares what the, the age group is? The fact is, flip phones, they're coming back, baby. So go out there, folks. Flip that phone proudly. <laughs> wow, we are hip, huh? No, we are not. It's really, it's, it gets, Man. Worse, gets worse every day, too. Birdman. Yeah, I'm never going to forget that one. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. We will catch you next week.